Dads, you're still alive. It's awesome. It's, uh, it's really a, a pleasure and privilege to be back with you guys. Last week, um, I, I preached this message downtown at our downtown congregation with Gray and Rob and, and all those guys, and uh, it, was, it was neat to be able to close out their time at Hope Women's Center, which is where they've been meeting, and uh, just had a good opportunity as Gray prayed just a prayer of blessing on Hope Women's Center to reflect back on what that, I think about a year and a half they've been there has, has been, and just the work that God's done among them, but also really excited for today for downtown because they're in their new location at uh, Valley Bible Church, and so uh, as, they're, as we're worshiping now, they are kind of preparing to worship at 10 o'clock there for the first time. And so um, I'd like to just say a quick prayer and, and maybe just center our minds and hearts towards them right now as they prepare for this first day of worship in this new space. So God, we thank you so much for the ways that you're at work among us as your church. We thank you for the, the privilege that it is to be called uh, sons and daughters of the Most High God and that you've adopted us into your family through Christ. We thank you that we have this unique relationship that we're one church, two congregations, and right now we're thinking of Gray and Rob and the downtown congregation. And we thank you for the work that you're doing uh, through them in this area. We pray blessing on them today as they meet in their new space. We thank you for the opportunities that this provides, and we pray that your gospel would be proclaimed with boldness and tenacity and confidence um, there today and for years to come. Do it, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Well, as, as Scott mentioned, we are closing out James today. And so if, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the very last chapter of James, James chapter 5. And we're going to be starting in verse 13 and reading to uh, verse 20. So James chapter 5. Verses 13 through 20. James says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. So, as Scott mentioned, we've been in, in James for a while, and as we read this text, just bear in mind, James, who has written this, this epistle to us, that has been really sharply convicting at points, and really kind of like jabs that he's getting in there, he ends this epistle with this plea to the churches 
to pray, to bring themselves to the Lord. And so that's what we're going to be talking about and looking at today is, Lord, um, what would you want to say to us? This is maybe our corporate prayer through this passage that you inspired James to write to the churches. Um, I think it, it can almost go without being said, but I'll say it anyway. We live in a very different world than the first century, um, especially as we consider our place in, in the globe. We live in the Western world. We live you know, in the 21st century. And so when you think about, just for a moment, imagine the, the situation that James was writing to. He's writing to churches that would experience persecution for their faith. He's writing to churches that would experience violence toward them for the message that they carried. And, and we sit here today in, in Chandler, Arizona, 2019, right? And we sit and we go, these worlds seem so different. Um, we're not persecuted the same ways that the churches that James was writing to were persecuted. We live in a world of, um, that's very kind of centered around maybe ease and comfort. Uh, a world that for many of us, I, I love our confession today because it hit the nail on the head. A, a world that maybe is centered around convenience. Um, we live kind of in the midst of a, of a culture that uh, this is changing, but, but at least in the past, Christianity was sort of the assumption. There was sort of this nominal idea that, that well, I'm a part of this country, I'm, I'm a Christian, and we are seeing that change. But nevertheless, we, we need to recognize that our world is, is very different than the world James was writing to. And yet, I think that we may face different kinds and maybe in some ways even, even greater dangers to the realities that this text speaks to because of the situation that we find ourselves in today. And so I, I just share that to say, allow the Spirit to, allow, to let our ears perk up a little bit to what James is saying. And let's listen with open ears in the 21st century to his message to the churches in the first century. But let's say, Lord, what are you speaking to us today through this, through this text? Um, before we kind of dive into the meat of the text, I think it's good for us just to talk about prayer for, for a little bit. Um, just to talk about what is prayer. Like, if, Just imagine your unbelieving neighbor comes to you, and as you're getting to know them, they discover that you're a Christian, and they kind of just say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with Christianity. Uh, I think I understand what that means, but can you help me on uh, this point? Can you help me on this point? And at one point, they come to you and they go, why do you pray? What is prayer? Think for a moment just of how you would answer somebody if they asked you that. I know maybe in some ways my flinch response to that would be just to say something as simple as prayer is talking to God, right? Um, and that might be sort of your flinch response too. But let's look at maybe the richness of what prayer is. I've been thinking in light of this message about the reality of prayer and what prayer is for us and its significance. And I think it's good for our minds to go here right at the beginning of this message. Uh, the New City Catechism is a catechism, 52 questions, one for each week of the year. It's one that our family has done for years. And one of the questions is simply, what is prayer? And this is what the New City Catechism says. It says, prayer is pouring our hearts out to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Pouring our hearts out to God. So a good mental image for us. 
And then I, I kind of came up with a list as I thought about the ways in which the Lord has shaped my thinking about prayer that I want to share with you. So think about some of these things as definitions. Prayer, it's a reminder of God's presence with us. Prayer is a source of gospel grace available to us, available to you. Prayer is a gift of fellowship with God. This next one is one that, for some reason, the Lord has just had to show me over and over in my life. Prayer is an exercise of our dependence on God. It's us exercising that dependence on Him. Prayer is a cry of our pain and a place where sadness can find full expression. Prayer is a testimony of our trust in God. And finally, prayer is a letting go of our will to surrender ourselves to God's will. Prayer is multifaceted. Um, it, it, it is not simply just talking to God. It is this, but it's, it's much, much more. And I think, if we're honest with ourselves, it seems like many times as Christians, we don't view prayer this way. We, we sometimes can fall into this trap of viewing prayer as something we have to do as Christians, like we can feel guilty, like especially messages like this. You might be sitting here going, oh gosh, I'm, I'm starting to feel guilty already for my lack of prayer. We view it as something that we have to do instead of something that we really get to do, something that God invites us into, something that he calls us to. So I think it's good for us to just think about even the posture of our own hearts and even our own, our own prayerlessness. Um, I was thinking about prayerlessness and I, was, I just kind of came to this realization. Prayerlessness really stems all the way back to our rebellion. And if you think about the story of God that's displayed in scripture, what we see is the eternal God comes and from nothing he makes everything that exists. He calls it very good and he places mankind in this garden and we have everything that we need. Everything that we need. And there is one command he says, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat of this one tree. And our first act of prayerlessness was when we took our ear from being inclined to the creator and the sustainer of life, and we inclined it towards temptation, towards the tempter. And we, and we believed that wisdom could be found by listening to a lie versus following truth. We believed that we could have True life apart from God. And I think in this moment is, is the first moment of prayerlessness. And I think prayerlessness, now I don't want to make you feel guilty, but I do want to allow the Spirit to work on all of our hearts on this. Prayerlessness is, is an active part of our rebellion against God. It is an active part. of our, It's not passive. It is an active part of our rebellion against God. God, because in that we learn to rely on ourselves, we learn, to, we learn to rely on our will, rely on our ways. And I was thinking about this, and just in my own life, and I was thinking about so many instances in my life where the Lord has had to come, and sometimes gently, but sometimes firmly, show me my own stubbornness, my own uh, kind of tenacity to just follow my own course, my own methods. I've thought about years ago as a youth pastor, I found myself in this situation where I really needed youth leaders. And you'll never talk to a youth pastor that says like, I'm good, I have enough youth leaders, right? Like, 
we're always looking for, for help. And I got to this point where I had tried everything, and finally it was like the Lord said, you haven't called on me. You haven't brought this to me. And so for about two months, I just, I prayed. And I, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm convicted. I've, I've sinned against you. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And the Lord just chose, I think in his humor and his providence, just in one moment to provide everything that I had prayed for. And it was almost like him showing, showing me like, Josh, you need to bring yourself to me. You need to depend on me. I thought of another moment when years ago in ministry, we went through a, an entire year. I was on the staff of a church. We went through an entire year without a lead pastor, which is not fun. Scott, I love you. I'm not sure. I think you're here somewhere. So thankful for your brother. And, and we went through a year without a lead pastor, and it, it was it was horrible. It was, it was painful. Um, there was things in the church that kind of came to the surface that were just really difficult to deal with. And we as a staff had to really learn again what dependence on God was like in the midst of that strife, in the midst of that chaos and confusion. I thought of another moment of just even recently, Elizabeth and I and our family entering into fostering. This is something we did for about two and a half years. And we got to a point in this journey where we just had to look at each other and go, we don't, we don't have what it takes to do this. God, we need you. We need you to give us strength. We need you to remind us of your provision in our life. We need you to provide people to come around us and help us. And I think if you were to think about it, you could think of many instances where the Lord has graciously shown you your dependence on him. But this is, this is prayer. It's trust. It's dependence. It's, it's us communing with God. It's us listening and seeking his wisdom. But there's a few things, when we think about our culture, there's a few things I think it's good for us just to be aware of as we dive into a text like this that I think causes our hearts to be inclined differently. And there's, there's more than just these few things, but I think about communication today. Communication is so convenient. I think about texting somebody. Like, I don't know how you are, but when I text somebody, I expect them to respond right away, Right? I expect them to get back to me. Same thing with email. It's, it's way more instantaneous. Um, in my previous position, I had letterhead, uh, you know, to write letters that I never used. And it was kind of funny. There's a, a pastor in our area that would, every once in a while, he would send me a letter on his letterhead, and it was like his big fancy letterhead, and it would just say, hey, Josh, comma, how you doing, question mark. <laughs> and that's it. That's all it said. And I would open it up, and it was just so humorous because it was like he was saying, man, I really don't have a great use for this old piece of technology anymore, you know? Our communication is so instant. Think about, think about what's in your fingertips with your smartphone. Like when you go through a, a season of confusion or you have something going on that you just go, I don't know what to do, where do you go? You go to Google, Right? Confess it, church. I mean, I will confess it to you. This is where we go. We, we go to Google. Like, if, if I have a pain in my stomach or something, Elizabeth can testify to this, like, WebMD is able to convince me that I have incurable, inoperable cancer, right? And I, I really seriously do confess to you, like, like, it's not my first reaction to go to my knees. Um, it's not my first reaction always to say, Lord, I bring this to you, but rather I have these other channels that I can go to. Finally, when I think about this, I also think about our, the pace of our life and this aspect of busyness. 
and I, I, I don't often know how to completely handle this because I'm guilty of it, but I find that a lot of us, we hold busyness like a, like a badge of honor. Somebody asks us how we're doing, oh man, life is so busy right now, right? The more busy we are, the more productive we are, hence the more important we are, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that many times as Christians, even though we'd never say this with our lives, we can almost say, I'm, I'm too busy to pray. I've got too much going on to stop and pray. And I think that in response to the message today, I think I'd love to give you a phrase that, that you can use in your life, and that is just simply this, I'm, I am too busy not to pray. <laughs> My schedule is too full not to stop and pray and talk to God. So if you're going to boil this message down into a single sentence, I'm going to give it to you. So this is like the Cliff Notes version of the message today. It's just this. Prayer directs us in knowing and trusting the creator and sustainer of life. I'll say it again. I think it's on the screen as well. Prayer directs us in knowing and trusting the creator and sustainer of life. So James says in these final moments of his epistle, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. These two extremes in our life, you know, suffering can bring us low into despair, into self-pity. Cheerfulness, like we can feel like we're on top of the mountain, can bring us into vainglory, self-congratulation, all of these sorts of things. And James says in both of these instances, Bring your praise and your prayer to God. I even think, think about how insidious this is. I'll, I'll, I'm bearing a lot of myself to you right now. This is another thing that I've, I've found happens in my heart. Something great will happen and you'll, I'll be in a group and, and I'll just say, man, praise God for that. that is, I, I just praise God that that's happening. And then this little voice inside of me, like this is how much my heart is so prone to focus on me. There's this little voice inside of me that goes, Man, Josh, it was really good how you said praise God right there. (laughs) Like, you really responded to that, like, in an honorable, like, upright way. Like, good job, right? How many of you can resonate with that just a little bit? Yeah, 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 a number of us can. Our hearts are so prone to wander, and they're prone to wander towards ourselves many times. And what James is saying here is, look, look at the extremes, bring yourself Bring yourself to God. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you, are you in a moment or a season or a, a, a situation of cheerfulness? Give praise to God. Give yourself to him. I love how Paul says this in Philippians 4. Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound, right? Both of these extremes. In any and every circumstance, he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger of abundance and need. I can do all things. He's this very famous passage. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I would ask you today, New Valley, are you suffering? Are you suffering? Are you facing hardship or difficulty in your life? Or or maybe you're here and, and you are on the top of the mountain. Like your life is going really, really well. You're in a season of cheerfulness. In both cases, I just want to tell you, the Lord is inviting you to come to him with all of this. To come into his presence with 
with all of that, all of that suffering, all of that pain, all of that cheerfulness and joy to come to him and to recognize that he is your source. And then James gives us, he gives us a specific example of what this can look like. He says, is anyone among you sick? He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So again, we can hear James writing to this first century audience. We can get a picture of what that would feel like. But think about our world today. We live in a world that we're, we are um, maybe just very apparently very image-based. We can just say it that way. We have things like Instagram that show this reality of our hearts, right? And, and I know Scott and Tyson of others have mentioned this reality before. Like, we take a hundred pictures on our phone and we flip through them and we pick out the perfect one where we look just right. And then we take that picture and we throw a couple filters on it, right, to get rid of the wrinkles or whatever we don't want to look at on our face. And then we put that out there for everybody to see. And... We do this, and then we agonize over who liked it, who didn't like it, right? How many likes did it get, or how many you know, hearts did it get, or whatever? And it's not that Instagram's evil, but it's just showing us a reality of our heart, that we have this proclivity, this inclination to live very produced lives, like lives where we try to show people what we want them to see. And what James is saying here is he's going, look, This sort of mentality towards your life, this sort of, you know, I'm going to produce my life and only show you what I want you to see is death for a community of faith. It is death for a community of faith. It does a number of deadly things in our hearts. And what James is saying here, he's saying, look, in your weakest moment, in your your darkest hour, call on the church, call on the elders, have them come and pray. Live your life in such a way where you would say, look, I am a weak person, I struggle, I'm sick, and I need prayer. And I would just ask you this, um, I think, I've, I've been here with you since November, New Valley, and I would just say this to you, I think this is a beautiful thing that God has done here weaving authenticity into the relationships here. And I've seen it numerous, numerous times, and I want to continue to encourage us in that, to continue to grow and allow God to shape us in ways that we're authentic with one another, in ways that other people know us and we know other people. And so I would just ask you this, for you to consider, who really knows you? Who really, who really knows you as a person? Are you open Do you live your life in such a way where the reality of what James is saying here can be be seen? I think that, um, I'll just say this, I think this is a very powerful, um, a a very powerful marker for a church to have in the midst of our world today. As we experience our culture, which is very kind of, in some ways can be very focused on image, to experience a community that's authentic, that knows each other, that, that presses into pain and suffering, that looks each other in the eye when we're going through difficulty, that prays for one another, that it, when we experience weakness or sickness, we call upon people to pray for us. This can be a very compelling thing and a very countercultural thing in the midst of our world. And so be encouraged by that and let's continue to ask the Lord to cultivate that 
in us as a church. So then James goes on and he, he says, he calls the elders of the church, he says, and he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now let's be clear, James, James is not just saying this is a good way for you to orient your life um, so you'll be obedient. But he's actually saying this is how God has chosen to work in the world many times is through the prayers of his people. Um, I'll say this, prayer, prayer will change the way you view the world as a person. Prayer will change the way you view the world and prayer will change the world because God in his sovereignty has has chosen to work through the prayers of his people to transform and to change and to renew the world. So prayer changes the way you view the world. It also also changes the world. So again, prayer directs us in knowing and trusting the creator and the sustainer of life. As I study this passage, I, I... have been a little bit perplexed by this next section. And I think if you've read this, you may be too. He says, And if he has committed sins, this person who has prayed for, he will be forgiven. Now James here seems to be connecting sickness, physical sickness, and sin um, in a way that, as we think about ourselves, 21st century Westerners, it might be difficult for us to, th- to think this way. Because we have so separated the spiritual and the material in our thinking. Our uh, you know, post-enlightenment minds that are very geared towards taking these, these things that God has integrated and pulling them apart. We see sickness and we think, okay, the causation is totally physical. We see sin as something that's spiritually oriented and we've separated these things. And James is going, no, there's, there is more connection here than, than you may realize. Um, and I think, for us, this was a natural reaction for many first century Jews. If you remember the disciples, when they come across the man who was born blind, what did the disciples say to Jesus, if you remember? They said, Rabbi, teacher, you know, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? They connected his blindness to sin, either him or his parents. And you remember, this is in John 9, you remember what Jesus says. He doesn't say, oh, no, no, foolish people, don't think that way. You need to separate these things out. But he says, no. He was born this way so that the power of God might be on display. So the power of God might be on display in him. There is purpose to this. And so I think in light of this text in James, we need to remember that God created in the beginning a fully integrated world. A fully integrated world. Not separated out in terms of uh, spiritual and, and physical. This is something that Greek thinking has done to us a lot more than we realize. But his world is fully integrated. We shouldn't discount the ways that sin can lead to physical sickness. And we also, I think on the other side of that, we shouldn't operate as though physical sickness is always traced to particular sins. So there's a, there's a counter to this as well. There's abuse that can happen on both ends of that spectrum. So look at how James says this. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another 
that you may be healed, he says. Prayer directs us in knowing and trusting the creator and sustainer of life. In this part, notice that James here, he says, there's real power in prayer. There is real power in prayer. And he, he shows this example of Elijah. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. See, God accomplished his purposes through the prayers of Elijah. And I don't, I don't know about you, but when I think about people like David or Elijah or Moses or even Noah, like, I can sometimes categorize them as, like, superheroes, right? Like, like Iron Man or, um, give me some superheroes, Superman. I'm not really a superhero guy, as you can see. <laughs> but I think about them in sort of this superhuman way. And what does James say, say here to me and to you? He says, no, look at Elijah this man of great prayer, this man that you look to and go, God worked through him. He says, he was a man with a nature like ours, with a nature like yours. He was mortal. He was weak, and yet God chose to work through him. He chose to shape Elijah through these moments in his life. And Elijah had great faith in the Lord. You think about the things that happened through Elijah, the things that he called upon the Lord to do, to raise a dead boy to life, and the Lord did it. To, in front of this huge crowd, Elijah calls down fire to come from God and consume this altar. And he does it. Elijah, he said, the rain is going to stop. And it did for three and a half years, as James tells us. And then prays again and it rains. The Lord chose to work through this man who has a nature like yours, like ours. He wasn't some sort of superhero, but the Lord chose to work through him, through his prayers. And so I want to ask you maybe some questions in light of this text, in light of what James is writing here to these churches and what the Spirit through James is saying to us. Think about these questions in light of this. Do you find yourself relying on God to act in your life? you find yourself relying on him to act or do you act on his behalf? God, you're taking too much time. I'm going to step in and act. Do you offer yourself to God in prayer, surrendering your will to him or do you address your life according to your ways and your desires? Finally, does your prayer life, your life of prayer and communion with the Lord, does it feel like a dutiful responsibility or does it feel like a joyful invitation? I think these are good questions for us, Westerners, Chandler, Arizona, 21st century, to think about seriously. A couple months ago, I was in a, in a gathering and it was a gathering with some global pastors in Phoenix. 
And I was particularly struck by the testimony of one of the pastors who was there. He was a man who grew up in, in a very impoverished part in the continent of Africa. And uh, he, re- he was recalling his prayer life as he grew up in this really impoverished setting with his family. And his family would spend two, three, sometimes even four hours a day in prayer. And they saw each day as they came to the Lord in prayer like they had nothing. They were literally praying for their daily sustenance, their daily food, and the Lord provided day after day after day, and they would come to him. And this, this pastor was lamenting because he was remembering this in his childhood, and he, he said, you know, I, I, I came to America, and I've, I've made a lot of myself, and, and I have a family, and so much that the Lord has provided, I love and I'm so thankful for, but he kind of essentially said this, in my ease and my comfort and my convenience, I've lost this dependence on prayer that I once had. And in this moment, it was so moving because this pastor just was lamenting before us that he says, I, w- I want my prayer life with the Lord back. Yes, I have all this stuff and it's, it's great and it's a blessing, but I would trade it in an instant to have this communion, this fellowship with him. And so it was a moment even just for me to go, Lord, would you give me that same sort of passion for you, the same sort of passion to come before you with the entirety of my life, to pray, but to enter your throne room. So as we consider prayer, I think in closing, I think we need to consider our greatest example of prayer, which is Christ himself. Christ who constantly retreated in solitude to pray, if you remember. The disciples come to him. How how do we pray? He teaches them. This is how you are to pray. It's important enough for you to know how to pray, how to come to the Lord. He tells us, at one point, to pray for laborers because the harvest field is ripe for harvest. So pray for laborers to come. At one point, towards the end of his time here on the earth, Jesus prays over his disciples in his high priestly prayer, praying for unity, confidence. In his hour of greatest distress in the garden, he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. On the cross, Christ says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then we know that Christ, even now, is at the Father's right hand. And what is he doing? He's interceding for us. He's praying for us, praying for you, praying for me before the Father. So as we look at prayer, we must realize that it is only because of the work of Christ that we can approach God in this way. As we talked about at the beginning, our rebellion has separated us from God, but through faith we have been reconciled to God. Jesus, in his work on the cross, he entered into that separation from God through his death, and through faith in him, we are brought back into communion with God. We can know him, we can trust him because of what Christ has done. Jesus' resurrection, it ought to shape our prayers because you and I have a living hope. We don't have a hope just in the here and now, but we have a hope in what is coming in the future, that Christ will return, that heaven and earth will be joined together, that the separated will come together as one again. And this is the vision that Christ calls us to pray towards. Father, 
your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer directs us in knowing and trusting the creator and the sustainer of life. Let's pray. God, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, and with humility and even brokenness, we realize that we fail so often uh, in this. So often, if we're to take an accounting of our lives, we, we live our lives with, with great areas of prayerlessness where we're trusting in ourselves or others. We're inclining our ears towards what we think is going to provide us wisdom. And yet, Lord, you call us to yourself. I pray, Lord, that as James's words come to us and as we are called to bring the entirety of ourselves to you, that you will show us and convict us of our sin, but also, God, that you will remind us of the great provision that we have in the gospel, that because of Christ, we can approach your throne room with boldness. Because of the good news of what Jesus has done through his death and through his resurrection, we can come to you as your children and we can fall at your feet and we can bring our lives to you, the bad, the good, and everything in between. And so God, may we be a people of prayer. May we take James' words to heart today. May we realize that you are the source of all life, that you are our great provision. May we learn again and again, what it is to trust and depend on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.